Dear clients, dear colleagues, welcome to this month's UBS live stream. There's as always many things to talk about in financial markets and this year, not the least. So 2023 is off to a interesting start. We have global equity markets up around 5%. Most bond segments are up as well. And all of this due to inflation coming in a bit below expectation, China reopening quicker than many of us have been anticipating. And generally speaking, global economic data being relatively robust into this January of 2023. In order to debate some of these topics, I'm joined here by some of my smartest colleagues in the UBS CIO office. We have joining us in from New York, Jason Draho, who is head of Asset Allocation Americas. Then we have with us from Hong Kong, Dominic Sneer, who's head of FX and Commodities. And last but not least, Claudia Penseri, who runs Equities out of Zurich. My name is Mark Anderson, and I'm responsible for the global asset allocation team here at UBS. Um, as always, we would like to make this as interactive as possible. So therefore, on the site that you are joining in from, there is a little link where you can post questions and we'll try to get through them in the Q&A section, which is at the end of this uh, live stream. And as per usual as well, we have, first of all, a public session where we have people in from LinkedIn and the UBS.com site. First and foremost, and probably the difficult thing here to begin with, uh, Jason, is to talk a bit about this economic outlook, which in many ways was so challenging last year, high inflation, slowing growth, uh, negative for many asset classes. And then in the beginning of this year, we've seen a bit of the opposite, falling inflation, reasonably robust growth, uh, and asset classes that have, generally speaking, gone uh, pretty well so far this year. Are we too optimistic? Has the market been kind of uh, anticipating this soft landing too early, or how are we kind of reading this economic backdrop, Jason? Uh, well, you're right, Mark, that, you know, the outlook today versus even maybe six to eight weeks ago has, has certainly improved, you know, for reasons that you mentioned right at the start with China reopening, you know, much faster than anticipated as they've dropped their zero COVID policies, you know, the mild winter in Europe, you know, bringing down energy prices and certainly changing the trajectory of, of European growth. And even in the U.S. where there's you know, signs of sort of slowing the economy, but also inflation data has, has come in you know, relatively optimistically. So when we did our house update recently, you know, when we assessed our different scenarios, we did shift some of the probability, you know, from the downside to the upside. So it's a more symmetric outcome. Uh, so I think that's, you know, kind of reflective of, you know, the, the improvement that we've seen. Markets have responded certainly significantly to this uh, and kind of priced in sort of a more optimistic scenario. And I think, you know, as we get throughout the call, we'll kind of address more, what does that mean in terms of investment opportunities? But I think it's important to think about like, you know, these drivers of how they've changed and what does it mean for the overall kind of outlook this year? Our 2023 outlook was titled a year of inflections. And we expected that that would really kind of drive the, the market performance at different stages this year. And really the, the focus uh, was three particular inflections on growth, you know, globally. When would it sort of inflect higher after kind of trending lower for last year and in the start of this year? Uh, when would inflation inflect? And we've seen certainly parts of the, of the world inflation has come lower, but core inflation necessarily hasn't. Uh, and then on, on central banks, you know, when are they going to sort of stop hiking rates, pause and ultimately kind of inflect and start cutting rates? And those are the three kind of big dynamics. And we can talk about each one. And, and you know, the first slide here kind of addresses a little bit on, on the growth inflections. Uh, what we've seen relative to like even you know two months ago is, you know I think a better scenario for the global economy this year. So the the inflection points we thought where we get troughing of growth globally had been pulled forward, but it is staggered. It's not sort of uniform. I think that's a kind of a key story that we're going to touch on in this call. That if you think about China, uh, once it gets through the Chinese New Year, growth is likely to start to accelerate later this quarter. 
Europe could sort of you know get some tailwinds off of that and start to kind of bottom on accelerate, you know, modestly so by the second quarter. But the U.S. looks like it's going to trend a little bit lower, at least in the near term, and you know, potentially even go into a mild recession. You know, and on this slide, the left chart kind of just gives a bit of an example of this sort of divergence. It just shows economic data. So surprises, like as the data comes in, how does it conform relative to expectations? Uh, and the blue line is the eurozone data. The gray line is U.S. data. And what we notice, and you can see, is starting around the beginning of December, European data, Eurozone data, started to surprise more consistently to the upside. It's gone the other way in the U.S. That's kind of reflects what we've seen in terms of the weather there, you know, kind of gas prices coming down, definitely much more optimism in terms of how things could play out. So that kind of speaks to a bit of the divergence that we're seeing you know, from a global cycle. Better improvement overall, but definitely kind of you know, staggered to some extent. Uh, and the chart on the left is also kind of reinforces that point. It's it's kind of based on survey data of manufacturers and services companies. What we've seen in the U.S. is kind of a continued moderation of that. That's the gray line. You can see, you know, throughout last year, it was trending lower and then it dropped even more from when we got the numbers for December earlier in January. The flip side is you know, some of the sentiment data that we're seeing in Europe is going, to, going in the opposite direction. It, it's surging. Uh, that's the blue line. It's the zoo survey that is of kind of forward-looking growth expectations in Europe. It's jumped dramatically just in the past couple of months. So the overall global story has improved on the growth front, but it's not sort of uniformly true. And you're seeing some sort of you know, divergence in terms of inflection points of you know, earlier inflection points, say in China and in Eurozone versus the US. If you go to the next slide, we can look then at sort of the, um, you know, the inflation inflection point. Headline inflation, certainly in the U.S. and even Europe, has, has rolled over, uh, and it's likely to continue to drop significantly. But somebody really what matters for the markets and what matters for central banks is core inflation, because this kind of strips out, you know, volatile, you know, food prices, energy prices, and really kind of gets into, you know, issues that could be stickier, particularly kind of wage growth uh, on the labor market, which and the U.S. is still very strong, and I think even much of Europe, it's, it's strong as well. So what you can see in the left chart here is the core inflation measures, again, for the U.S. and for the Eurozone. Uh, the U.S. is the gray line. It's peaked earlier last year, but it's been sort of choppy around a plateau of 6% really for the past four or five months, uh, if not even a little bit longer. It looks like it's probably past the peak, but I, given the sort of the volatility of the series, I think we can't take that for granted. Then if you look at uh, you know, the Eurozone, it's still actually trending higher. Uh, and so there's a, you know, clearly as the, you know, the economy sort of reaccelerates, the labor market stays tight. There is a risk that the Eurozone core inflation doesn't inflect, you know, as much as we like. And assumptions for what the ECB might do also might need to be altered. So I think that's a key inflection point that everyone, I think investors are assuming will happen, but they're not a guarantee, right? That's something we have to kind of watch closely. Uh, and something kind of related to this, you know, Dominic will kind of cover this later in terms of commodities, but Certainly the fall in commodity prices in natural gas prices in Europe has been a big tailwind. Uh, the chart on the right shows you, you know, in the gray line, how much gas prices have fallen uh, just uh, in the past few or four months, like 80%. Certainly it's a dramatic change in the story. Uh, in the US, the big kind of development on that front is lower gas prices that people are paying when they fill up their car. Uh, it peaked around $5 uh, per gallon last uh, kind of early spring. It's fallen about 40% since then. If that changes, if oil prices, energy prices go up, some of the positives that we're talking about right now, maybe that's not quite as positive at some point later on down the line. Uh, and then the, th the third key inflection point is what's going to happen with central banks, and that's on the next slide. Um, this is just sort of what the, you know is is kind of the Fed is saying it's going to do. These are kind of the the blue dots. So the Fed is basically saying we're going to raise rates 75 basis points more uh, this year. The market's saying we think you know 50 in total. 
you know, 25 next week, probably 25 in March. And then by the summer and the fall start to cut. Uh, and so there starts to become a pretty big gap between the, mar the market is expecting for the Fed to do versus what the market or the Fed is saying it's gonna do. So that does create a bit of a risk uh, in terms of the upside if inflation data or growth data are higher than expected, maybe the Fed does more than market's pricing. So right now it's a pretty benign scenario, I'd say within fixed income markets. So there is a risk that, you know, it has to kind of reprice and reset and the Fed has to do more than we expected, you know. The, the flip side of kind of a good soft landing is it means maybe inflation pressure stay more persistent than expected and therefore the Fed and other central banks have to do more than expected. So um, interesting dynamics, a better story to start the year, but a lot of inflection points, key inflection points that are gonna drive things that are still to be determined. Thanks so much, Jason. I think there's a lot of interesting observations in there as well. And when we think about what this meant, maybe first and foremost for currencies, I guess we came from a 22 where the Fed was the aggressive central bank. It's where inflation was, first of all, an issue. We were leaning into kind of an idea of a U.S. dollar strength. But this has started to switch a little towards some other more, say, cyclical currencies like the euro, maybe on the back of this kind of inflation pickup that we've seen in Europe and a more aggressive European Central Bank as well. So to talk more about kind of how we are thinking about these inflection points and how it impact our currency positions and views, I'll uh, hand it over to you, uh, Dominic, first of all on, on currencies here. Thank you, Mark. If you look at the FX market, I think it's very clear that we already have seen the peak in the dollar. The dollar is in reverse gear uh, since November. I think Jason was already mentioned some of the key things that really have changed simultaneously. And I think that's an important element. It wasn't just the rate story in the US where people started to get a little bit more comfortable. You know, the terminal rates wouldn't go to 6% and somewhere around 5%, that's probably a top. You see this also here on the chart where you see funds, uh, expectations. In fact, the market is obviously now looking for some cuts at some point uh, uh, this year. So all these factors have shifted quite simultaneously and started to take away support for the dollar. Because at the end of the day, the two key variables for the dollar and really shapes all the FX market is about the Fed. Now we know that risk factor is more of a constant going forward. It's still supportive, but there is room to get less. And you see this in some of these relative uh, interest rate differentials that you look at between, let's say, the US and Europe, which have really started to turn around. And I think that has taken away uh, dollar support. The other element, which I think we need to take quite serious, if we look, for example, at the next slide, when we come to the dollar, and Jason already alluded to, is this really relative growth divergence that we might gonna get in 2023, maybe less so between the US and Europe, both of them should not grow much and at some point maybe contract uh, in some of the quarters, but it's really about China, the, the recovery. If you look at some of the surprise indices, we basically, Jason already mentioned, when you add China to it, it already popped up that the numbers that we came, we saw in, in December were actually better than expected. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to see more upside to some of the, the black line that you see here in terms of market expectation continuously shifting higher when it comes to China. And it has that broad knock-on effect uh, for the Asian region. So as growth is really looking different, um, more robust outside the US, that historic, historically has taken support away from the dollar. Because we also need to think it's not just about rates and relative growth differentials. It's also about what's the starting point. And the starting point for the dollar was quite unfavorable, uh, simply at the fact we were actually trading at very rich valuations. 
So these three factors point for me, at least, that we're going to see ongoing dollar weakness throughout 2023. Yep, in the short term, as we approach this uh, zero growth or a little bit of recession, there can be bouts of uncertainty in financial markets. And I think that can support the dollar, but it should be temporary. And, and I think people shouldn't focus too much at this point in time towards some of these element of uncertainty. In fact, those are opportunities if you have excess dollar position to start to shy away. Now, where could you go when it comes to the FX market? And um, if we look at some of our forecasts that we have at this point in time, next slide, you see where the dollar is expected to weaken the most. Uh, you see that on the first chart on the left side, uh, you see where the, the bars are in negative territory. That's the expected spot performance of the dollar. You also have the, the small um, um, stars in there. You see also what is already priced in the forward. And I think for us at this point in time, we really want to be positioned in the Australian dollar. So if you look for a little bit diversification away from the dollar, the Aussie clearly is an attractive place. It's the proximity to, to China. It's also the fantastic improvement that we have seen in the terms of trade, which for me clearly is at this point in time not reflected in the currency. And I think also from a fair value point of view, you see in, in Norway, the, that's all, also an interesting currency. It's more geared obviously towards Europe and what's happening there for somebody who doesn't want to go too far into the east. Um, CNY will also do stronger. Uh, in fact, some of the European currencies also uh, a little bit on the firmer side. But at this point in time, Europe still has a lot of challenges on the growth side. And while natural gas prices are down, they can pop up quite quickly. So we need to take that also into consideration. And that is, for example, for many investors, an all-time favorite, the, basically the, um, the British pound, still the growth numbers don't match up, uh, a lot of inflation and, and external deficit. I think all that combination does not yet speak for some of these engagements. So you need to be selective where you want to position uh, towards dollar weakness. But you also see it's not just weakness. I mean, some currencies have done uh, quite marvelously already last year. And I think that should see some negative payback, for example, in the Mexican peso. So please be mindful. You can't just take one broad brush and, and say dollar weakness is going to materialize in 2023. For investors who really don't want to move out of the dollar, they're quite comfortable. I think what you can do, volatility in the FX market is pretty high. Um, and you see that on the chart on the right-hand side. So you can sell top side. You can get a nice yield pickup. I think that's something you can do in order to improve your return profile on cash, which already gives you a decent return, but it can even further improve, uh, improve that by really selling the upside and making use of the volatility in the FX market. Cool. Thanks so much, Dominic. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff here to, to talk about on FX. I know you recently made the trip here from uh, Europe to Asia. You're in Hong Kong uh, today. I guess there's a lot of optimism in the region following this kind of reopening. And I'm sure that this reopening story is having a massive impact on our view on commodity markets as well. So maybe take us through what is our outlook for commodities this year. We recently upgraded to be kind of a most preferred uh, investment area. So, so talk us a bit through how both China and the rest of the world kind of impacts the commodity sector. Now, when it comes to commodities, we really need to think about China. It accounts for 50% of the metal demand globally, while it's uh, maybe on the, on the lower side when it comes to crude oil, it's about 15% uh, global energy consumption, 26% is really related to China, and we expect here a, a quite firm improvement on the demand side. We were running a little bit some numbers and looking at in a world where China accelerate and EM does very well, while at the same time you have some challenges 
in the developed world, can commodities actually perform? And I think what history would tell you is actually it's one of the sweet spots. Of course, we want to have that everybody grows at the same times, but history would tell you if EM does well, if China does well, I think uh, the return picture looks actually quite favorable. Um, that you see here on, on the chart on the left side, you see the performance picture since 2000 during different periods of time. We also split it up a little bit into different 10-year uh, buckets to give you a little bit more granular information. So yeah, the return outlook is attractive. Many of the markets are tight. The energy market is tight. Uh, the, the metals market is tight. And if you don't have much supply at hand inventories and China does a good pull, then I think we should uh, expect higher prices. Now, maybe go to the next slide just to give you a little bit of an idea of what that really translates on a broad index level. So investor well, maybe feels uncomfortable to look just into one commodity like oil, et cetera, but he wants to expose to the broader index. Um, we're looking at upside of 10 to, I would say 12% thereabout. Uh, obviously very strongly driven through the energy. I mean, that's the biggest component as we're looking still for crude oil prices heading towards 110. Uh, keep that in mind, but I think important, it's not just about the spot performance. It's about also the cash collateral performance. Last year was around 2%. Now this year, the cash collateral performance in commodities give you 4.5% thereabout. And at the same time, so, you know, futures curve still in backwardation, you still get roll gains as well. So on total, if I aggregate everything, I wouldn't be surprised if we get it into close to almost 20% to zero. I know that's a big number, but that's something to think about. So when it comes to who's gonna be the best asset class this year, well, we might get a hat trick for uh, commodities. Um, I think everything lines up still for a good performance. Maybe last point to highlight when it comes to energy, um, China uh, are going to see a fair bit of imports going up. Uh, that has been really on the soft side. Uh, you might say, well, what about the US when we're in a, in a slowdown? 1.6 million barrels of incremental demand we're going to see probably this year. That's above trend. And out of this, half of it probably is going to be China. Asia, 75%. So even if we slow, the conditions are still here. We're going to see record demand numbers. And with challenges on Russian side and potential production cuts, I think the market stays tight, inventory comes down, and so higher prices ahead. So please fill up your gas, your tank of your car, because tomorrow could be a little bit more expensive already. Thanks, Dominic. Hattrick in commodities means we're not probably done with investing into commodities for our clients, be it in our mandate solutions or recommending it some, as some of our big picks. So, so thanks for that update, uh, Dominic. Um, this concludes the public section of our live stream. So for those of you that dial in from LinkedIn or tuned in from LinkedIn, thanks so much for uh, having spent the time here with us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.